This is the Week in Addiction Medicine, a podcast resource of timely news and top stories brought to you by the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM. Today is Tuesday, April 11th, and I'm Claire Rasmussen. Our lead story this week, shared genetic liability for alcohol consumption, alcohol problems, and suicide attempt, is in translational psychiatry. This study investigated the extent to which shared liability for alcohol consumption and problems and suicide attempt is genetically related to five dimensions of impulsivity. Common genetic liability to these issues was significantly correlated with all five impulsive personality traits examined, and the largest correlation was with lack of premeditation. These analyses have potential implications for screening and prevention. Impulsivity can be comprehensively assessed in childhood, whereas heavy drinking and suicide attempt are quite rare prior to adolescence. Features of impulsivity may serve as early indicators of genetic risk for alcohol problems and suicidality. Next is a study in the Journal of Addiction Medicine titled Patient Perceptions of Integrating Meditation-Based Interventions in Office-Based Opioid Treatment with Buprenorphine. This study surveyed 72 patients receiving buprenorphine for opioid use disorder in a primary care clinic about meditation practices. A majority of patients reported having using meditation practices, with only 10% reporting having never practiced meditation. Patients felt that meditation reduced stress, anxiety, depression, pain, substance use, craving, risk of relapse, and opioid withdrawal. Daily practice was reported by 40%. The authors note that high acceptance of meditation in patients receiving medications for opioid use disorder, and they suggest increasing meditation's availability. A new study in PLUS One is titled Smoking and Healthcare Expenditure Reductions Associated with the California Tobacco Control Program, 1989-2019. to In this study, The authors update an evaluation of the impact of the California Tobacco Control Program from 2008 to assess the impact of the program on prevalence of smoking and packs of cigarettes consumed. In addition, the authors model the healthcare cost saving attributed to the program. The updated model estimated that for each dollar spent on the program, there is a reduction in prevalence of 0.05% in consumption by 2.23 packs. Between 1989 and 2019, the program was estimated to prevent 9.5 million person years of smoking and having saved between 544 and 816 billion in healthcare expenditures. Given a cost of $3.5 billion, the program return on investment was $231 for every $1 spent, supporting the idea that the program not only had health impact, but also significant financial return. Next, we have a study in addictive behaviors titled Exploring Substance Misuse Behaviors Among Black Girls in Detention. This study investigated the degree to which a history of abuse and trauma correlate with substance misuse among black girls in the Atlanta detention system. Nearly 50% of girls with a substance use disorder reported a history of moderate or severe physical abuse or sexual abuse. Younger girls were more likely to have a higher prevalence of having a problem with substances than older girls at baseline. The authors emphasize a need to focus on individual and macrostructural inequalities that impact health and well-being. A new study in JAMA Network Open is titled Incidents of Precipitated Withdrawal During a Multi-Site Emergency Department-Initiated Buprenorphine 
clinical trial in the era of fentanyl. Emergency departments are an important setting in which to initiate buprenorphine for patients with opioid use disorder, but there may be concerns about precipitated withdrawal among persons using fentanyl given fentanyl's potency. In this cohort study, the authors examined data from a randomized trial initiating sublingual buprenorphine versus extended-release buprenorphine. Among 1,200 enrolled patients who were all positive for fentanyl, only 9 developed precipitated withdrawal. Given these findings, the authors conclude that even with an increase in fentanyl use, buprenorphine remains safe and continued access in the emergency departments is essential. The next study is in JAMA Psychiatry, titled 20-Year Trends in Drug Overdose Fatalities Among Older Adults in the United States. This study calculated the annual overdose death rate from 2002 to 2021 for all U.S. adults age 65 or older. The rate of fatal drug overdoses among people 65 years and older quadrupled in 2002, with highest rates among non-Hispanic African-American individuals. The share of all-cause mortality attributable to drug overdose increased 359% during this period. By 2021, one in 370 deaths among those 65 years and older was caused by an overdose. Our next article, titled Using the Standard THC Unit to Regulate THC Content in Legal Cannabis Markets, is in addiction. This commentary cites evidence that consumption of higher-potency cannabis products is associated with worse health outcomes. The authors discuss various approaches to regulating THC content, suggesting that labeling percentage THC or milligrams THC can be confusing when comparing products such as flowers, extracts, or edibles. The authors reference the regulation of alcohol content by the International Development of a Standard Alcohol Unit. Setting a minimum price per alcohol unit in Scotland resulted in a prompt decrease in alcohol consumption. A standard THC unit of 5 mg is a low dose similar to the standard alcohol unit. Products could then be labeled by the number of standard THC units they contained. Our final article, titled Prenatal Nicotine Exposure Alters Gene Expression Profiles of Neurons in the Subregions of the VTA During Early Postnatal Development, is in Scientific Reports. Nicotine exposure during early development results in sensory and cognitive processing problems in adults. This animal study investigated the influence of perinatal nicotine exposure on gene expression of neurons within the following subregions of the ventral tegmental area the parabrachial pigmented nucleus, parainterfascicular, and paranigral nucleus. The dopamine marker tyrosine hydroxylase demonstrated consistently increased significance in paranigral nucleus compared to parainterfascicular and parabrachial pigmented nucleus, indicating that perinatal nicotine exposure significantly activates VTA dopamine neurons from birth. This concludes today's episode of This Week in Addiction Medicine. Remember to subscribe to the ASAM Weekly for more exclusive content and our editor's commentary, delivered every Tuesday. Be sure to check us out on social media and asam.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.